The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark 2, 13 through 17. The word of God speaks to us. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well need no, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word to us. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. I know what you're thinking. Another bearded frontline guy's up here preaching. I thought about shaving, but I, I did you guys a huge favor because I look like a really creepy 12-year-old when I shave. So I did you guys a favor this morning. Like David said, my name's Brandon High. I'm the community director. I help lead our community groups here at Frontline Edmond, and it's an honor to be here with you guys. So I want to take a moment to pray for us as we dive into the Gospel of Mark. So I want to pray for you. I'd ask for you guys to pray for me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet us here in this moment. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to your word as we look at this story where Jesus encounters Levi and he encounters Levi's friends and and some profound things happen. And I pray that this wouldn't be just a mere intellectual time, but this would be a transformative time, a time where, Holy Spirit, you're transforming our hearts to be more like Jesus in the way that he lived and the way that he modeled living for us. So Holy Spirit, again, meet us here. Open our hearts. Open our minds to your word. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in the summer of 2012, I was living in Florida, and I had this great idea. I was going to teach myself how to surf. And so I'm out on the beach one day with my buddy, and he had rented a surfboard, and so there it was. I grabbed the board, I start paddling out into the wave, into the waves, and that particular day, the swells weren't super high, and so I had to to swim pretty far out to get to some some waves that were actually rideable. So I get out about three or 400 yards, and I I was feeling a little uncomfortable with that, but I was committed to teaching myself to surf. So I get that far out, I turn the nose of the surfboard towards the shore, and I just start paddling and kicking as hard as I can trying to catch waves. And over and over and over again, I just failed. I couldn't, catch, I couldn't figure out how to do this. Well, in the meantime, I'm getting pretty tired. And I look up and to the shore, and I see how far I've actually gone. I had paddled out three, 350 yards, but I was probably more like 500 yards away from the shore at this point. And I started getting, I started panicking a little bit. I started freaking out internally. And not only was I freaking out, I was actually feeling a little bit exhausted and so I was like, I, I got to start paddling back towards the shore. So I just start kicking and paddling straight towards the shore as fast as I can. And I'm doing that for a few minutes. And I realize that I've actually gone further away from the shore. And I'm super confused. And I'm beginning to run out of hope because I'm getting a little tired. So I lay my head down on my surfboard. And I'm just like trying to gather my thoughts and figure out what I need to do. And I look up. And by God's grace, I see this man swimming out towards me. And he's swimming pretty hard. And when you're that far out away from the, from the, 
the shore, it's a little hard to hear, but I hear this man as he's swimming out to me, he's yelling. He's saying, you're stuck in a riptide. You're stuck in a riptide. And I was like, I don't know what a riptide is. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, and I'm still, I'm trying to hear him. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty faint, but he says, swim parallel with the shore, swim with the shore. And so luckily I understood what he was saying. And so indeed I swam parallel to the shore, the shore and I was able to get out of the riptide and then easily make it back to the shore where I was safe. That man saved me. I easily could have drowned that day. If I had continued to fight that current of the riptide, I easily could have drowned just by mere ex- exhaustion. I would have continued to fight that current And it was a scary moment, but I was grateful that man risked his own life to come out and save mine. And so I tell this story because I think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I think it relates to the text that we're looking at today. I was in great need and someone rescued me. If you have your Bible with you, I I encourage you to open your Bible to, to Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. The verses will also be on the screen, but I'd love you to read along with me if you have your Bible. So let's read the passage again. Mark 2, 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I believe that verse 17 is the key to unlocking this passage. And the idea is this, that Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for sinners. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. Jesus was and still is ushering in God's kingdom. It's a kingdom of grace. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of holiness, and it's a kingdom of mission. Jesus indeed came for sinners, and he is, we're going to see in this passage, a friend of sinners. Just as I was doomed to drown far from shore, exhausted and running out of hope, A sinner is someone far from God without hope until Jesus comes for them. We're all born sinners and we choose sin until Jesus comes for us. We see today that Jesus came for sinners. And so my prayer this morning is to unpack why this is good news for you and I and why this is good news for our city. So the first thing we see in verses 13 and 14 is that Jesus came for Levi. Jesus came for for Levi. And so there are two other accounts of this story in the Gospels. One is in Matthew 9 and one is in Luke 5. So based on these accounts, we know that Levi becomes one of Jesus' disciples and his name is also Matthew. But for the sake of this passage, I'm going to refer to him as Levi. And so Mark in this Gospel is presenting Jesus and his message as being one that you cannot be neutral toward. Jesus has made some outrageous self-claims about himself. And he either is the son of God, who is the Messiah and is able to take away the sins of the world, or as the Pharisees think, he's a a blasphemer. So the scribes and the Pharisees begin to follow Christ. They're checking him out. They're eventually going to try to entrap him. 
And this pattern will ultimately lead to his trial and his death. But we see a familiar sort of narrative pattern in this passage. Jesus, again, is withdrawing from the crowd, trying to get away a bit along the shores of Galilee. But as usual, the crowd finds him. The word is out that there's this tremendous miracle worker named Jesus of Nazareth. And the word is out that he teaches like no one else teaches. And he's done things that people have never seen anybody ever do before. And so the crowd presses in on him. That's what we see. And when the crowd gathers, Jesus does the thing that is his very zeal to do. He preaches again the gospel of the kingdom. So this is the scene that we're, that we're setting here that we see in verses 13 and 14. As Jesus was walking along the Galilee, he encounters Levi. And Levi is a tax collector. He's there in his booth, and he's probably there to collect an outrageous tax from the commercial fishermen that are along the Galilee. So let's take a moment and talk about Levi. During this time, tax collectors were despised people. They were not very nice men. If lepers were despised for their disease, as David taught us last week, these people are despised all the more. And maybe you could say it this way. People feared lepers because of their infectious disease, but they actually hated tax collectors. There was a strong hate in their culture towards these people. They were Hebrews who worked for the Roman government. They extorted tax dollars from their, their very own people that essentially broke the back of the Palestinian economy, and they took a good portion for themselves. They became rich by extorting money from their own people. They were political turncoats. They, they were thieves. They were known for their lawlessness and immorality. And as a group of people, tax collectors had been excommunicated from the synagogue. They were even despised by their own family members. And as a group of people, uh, they were so corrupt, they were not even allowed to participate in any of the courts. And so I'm going to propose that if any of us were choosing 12 men to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, Levi would not have been on our short list. Levi wouldn't have been on that list. Based on who he was culturally, he would not have been on, on that list, but he was on Jesus' list. There's something very powerful about this moment when Christ looks at this despicable, immoral man who literally stands for everything that's opposite of what Jesus came to do and produce, everything that's opposite of what he was doing. And Jesus looks at him, and he actually sees potential. Now, don't get concerned about what I'm saying here. He doesn't see potential innate in this man because you, you would argue this man has no potential whatsoever. What Jesus sees is the radical transforming, life-altering, God-glorifying potential of grace in Levi's life. That's what he sees. You need no more argument in all of Scripture for the power and importance of grace than the calling of Levi. And I think if I could speak for you, the reason we are often maybe sometimes surprised at the calling of some of these disciples like Levi is because we mistakenly think we might be different. We mistakenly think that there must have been someone better than him. Or that we in some way are, are better than him. And all of us are capable of everything that he was doing apart from the rescuing, transforming power of God's grace. Our hope is just one thing. It's grace, it's grace, and it's grace. And we bring nothing to the moment but deep abiding personal need. It's the heart of the gospel. And the minute that we think that we don't need grace, we can find ourselves in, in big trouble. 
If we forget about grace, here's what happens. We get greater and our celebration of Jesus gets lesser. We get more excited about us and by, that, and by the very nature of that, we're less excited about grace. This is what we're about to see with the Pharisees. If you and I were to live on this earth for 10,000 years, we would need grace the next day just as much as we did the first day we believed. We are Levi. And it's shocking that God would have called any of us. It's, shock, it's a shocking miracle of grace. Jesus comes to Levi. He calls him to follow him. And by God's grace, Levi gets up and follows Jesus. He leaves behind his very lucrative job and begins following him. He goes from living the high life, being one of the most wealthy people in his area, in his city, to being a nomad, following Jesus around and camping with him as they were going from city to city, preaching the good news of the kingdom. This is a man whose very lifestyle would give you no inclination that he had any spiritual interest whatsoever. None. There, there's none. There's no, there's no hint. Jesus calls Levi away from everything that has excited him in his, in his life up to this point. And so I would have expected Levi to respond some, in this way. Yeah, right? Like, I'm going to leave my job and my home and follow you, the one who claims to be Messiah, who some think are a crazy man. But what does he do? He follows. And the reason is grace. Grace gives Levi the ability to respond to Jesus in this moment. Grace opens his eyes, opens his heart, changes his thinking. Grace even changes his desires and changes his perspective. And then he runs after Jesus. What an amazing thing that is. It's two simple verses, but very profound what the Holy Spirit is doing in Levi's heart in that moment. The same thing that he's done for those of us who, are, who call ourselves followers of Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 puts it this way. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Nobody would ever be in this room. Nobody would ever change their schedule to attend community group. I don't believe anybody would ever read their Bibles and pray. Nobody would ever share the gospel with their friends and neighbors if it weren't for grace. Levi's story is indeed you and I's story. It's not that we're smart. It's not that we're more holy. It's not that we have the right desires. It's not that we have the right theology, even, sometimes. We've been rescued from ourselves and sin by divine grace, and, and we should, as a people, praise God for that this morning. What a beautiful picture of God's grace that he looks at Levi, this man by grace, and says, this man by grace can be a part of my mission, a mission to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. earth. And grace yanks Levi out of his booth, out of the life he had constructed for himself, and it yanks him towards Jesus and after Jesus. And so I think this in itself would be a great sermon, but we're not done because what happens next is super important. So let me read again verses 17, 15 through 17. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does this man eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So I mentioned earlier, there's a few accounts of this story, one in Luke 5 and one in Luke, uh, in Matthew 9. And I think in Luke 5, there's a helpful verse that reads in harmony with Mark 2.15. It says, and Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. So I think this leads us to our second idea. So not only did Jesus come for Levi, Jesus also came for Levi's friends. Jesus came for Levi's friends. After leaving his old life behind and starting to follow Jesus, Levi prepares a great feast in his house. And he invites, and who does he invite? He invites all of the bad company. He invites his tax collecting friends. Maybe what you have here is a picture of how much, how much Levi's life has already been transformed. What does he do after experiencing a gracious call from Jesus? He brings Christ home. In, in Levi's normal evening, evening, I don't think Jesus, I think Jesus would have been a little bit of a party kill, maybe a little bit of a buzz kill for the party. He wouldn't want Jesus in his home. The fact that he wants Jesus there is an amazing thing. And it's clear he wants to celebrate his newfound Messiah and he wants to introduce Jesus to his friends. And who are his friends? They're the bad company. They're the people that are hated most in their city, in their culture. Those are the people that he hung out with. These are the people just like Levi. And I don't know if it shocks you or not, but Jesus is quite comfortable with these people. People who I mentioned earlier that are hated in their city, in their culture, but these are the people that Jesus came for, for the people that he came to rescue. A shared meal 2,000 years ago was a big deal. And in some ways, it was a lot bigger deal than it is, and it can often feel today. From a book titled Meals with Jesus, Tim Tim Chester says this, meals together were of tremendous significance in first century Mediterranean cultures. Being invited to a meal signified deep friendship, intimacy, and unity. And yet here is Jesus extending grace and friendship to social outcasts through a meal. What we don't see is Jesus saying this. You know what, Levi? Thanks for preparing a great feast. Thanks for the invite to your house. But I have a reputation to protect here. You don't expect that I'm going to be seen with these people, let alone share a meal with them. That's what the Pharisees were saying, but there's none of that. Jesus is more, more than willing to be with these men, these people. Before Jesus at this meal is the very reason that brought Jesus to earth, and it's the very reason that will drive Jesus to the cross. Also in the room, or maybe just passing by, are the scribes of the Pharisees. These are the religious lawyers, the theologians, and they see what is happening inside Levi's home, Jesus is eating with these tax collectors and sinners. And speaking of, of, of the description of sinners, it was used both with a social and a spiritual connotation. The term sinner sort of meant low class, outsider, despised, and it, was also, it also has the same spiritual implications that you and I are familiar with. The scribes asked this amazing question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's an interesting question. And I think it has to be one of the most arrogant questions maybe asked in all of Scripture. Because the only way that you can ask that question 
is if you conclude that you are not one. You would never ask that question if you would say something to yourself along these lines. Yes, maybe I haven't done all that these people have done, but I surely have nothing to bring before God that would achieve acceptance with him. In fact, you could argue that these Pharisees should be saying, this is amazing. What a wonderful thing that's happening here. This is what the Messiah was called to do. He is being the light of the world. He's here to give sight to the blind. He's here to raise the dead to life. What a beautiful thing that he would seek and save such a people as these. This has to be the Messiah. This has to be the guy. Unfortunately, that's not their response at all. Instead, how dare he eat with these people? Often we can begin to feel comfortable in community surrounded with people just like us. But we see that is not how Jesus built community. Who would make you feel uncomfortable if they visited our church or your community group? Maybe someone who's a far-left liberal. Maybe an alt-right conservative. Maybe you would have trouble extending friendship to a person who's struggling in open and obvious sin. Maybe you'd have trouble extending friendship to someone who can be really self-righteous like these Pharisees. These are important questions, I think, for us as a church to be asking. As followers of Jesus, it's important for us to remember to save a seat for the sinners at our dinner tables. Jesus came for Levi. He came for his friends. He's a friend of sinners. And I think there are two types of sinners in this, in this story. First, there's those who are sinners but don't have sin as a category. They utterly don't know they're a sinner and they're blind to their sin. And as followers of Jesus, we want to move out into our world, we want to move out into our neighborhoods, and we want to be instruments of helping others see God's truth so that through us, through the message of the gospel, through looking in the mirror of God's word, that these people might come to a knowledge of their sin and find Jesus, the friend of sinners, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And there's a second type of sinner, the self-righteous. They can be arrogant, denying of need sinners. They are indeed sinners but refuse to recognize their own sins. Self-righteousness is a premier enemy of the work of God. Self-righteousness will crush our seeking and celebration of grace because grace is only ever exciting to a sinner who recognizes their need for God's grace. If you don't think you're a sinner, you're not excited that Jesus would come for you, that he would live a perfect life, that he would bear your sin on the cross, that he would purchase your acceptance, that he would rise from the dead, conquering death, and give you and me life. No one gives grace better than a person who is deeply persuaded that they need it themselves. A sense of personal need is in a very healthy way propels not only our church and our lives, but our ministry. In verse 17, Jesus says the words again that unlock this entire passage. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you're feeling healthy, it would be really weird to say this. You know what? I'm feeling super good today. I think I need to see a doctor. That would be weird. Jesus says, my message of hope is for sinners that I indeed came for sinners. As the hymn says, not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. 
Paul says it this way in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says it another way in 1 Timothy 1.5, the saying, or 1.15, excuse me, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's the Apostle Paul in his perspective. Tim Keller gives us a really helpful quote here. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Than we ever dared hope. Thinking back on my story, I want to feel flash this picture up here. Thinking back on my own story, I'm grateful. that God used a man named Brian to teach me the gospel and to disciple me. And this is he and I. He's a great man. Uh, that's at my wedding. He was one of my groomsmen 10 years ago. Brian had been walking with Jesus and, gave, and God gave him a heart for sinners. When I met Brian, I was a sinner and I didn't know that I was. I was one of the tax collectors at the dinner party in Levi's house. Brian and I shared many meals together talking about Jesus and why he came long before I ever put my faith in Jesus. In fact, the first time I met Brian, we sat down to a meal in the Nye University Center at UCO where this very church was planted. And I remember one particular meal uh, at Brian's house with his family, with his wife and his kids. And his wife, Ashley, that night shared her story on how she began to follow Jesus. And that night, I don't feel like Ashley was saying anything super profound. But what was happening is the Holy Spirit was working profoundly in my heart through a meal. Later that week, I put my faith in Jesus and began following him. If you're here today and you, you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, he extends his grace and friendship to you today because that's who he is and that's why he came. If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart like he did mine, I would encourage you to talk and pray with someone before you leave and I, I would love to talk with you. There's gonna be people up here after the service who would love to share their story of how they began following Jesus and they would love to help you process your story. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, in this church, we encourage everyone to be a part of a community group. Not just because that's a cool thing to do as a church, but because meals are opportunities for deep friendships and rich conversations. When it comes to community groups, we believe meals are opportunities for us to invite our neighbors to come and see, to come and hear about how Jesus has transformed our lives both now and for all eternity recognizing that we ourselves are sinners who have encountered and, res and responded to God's grace to us through his son, Jesus. This meal that Levi hosted at his home was a missional gathering. He encountered grace through Jesus. He began following him and desperately wanted his friends to know Jesus as well. As a church and with our community group, let's fight for those who don't know Christ because they are the ones that Jesus indeed came for.
Spending time with sinners and sharing the gospel is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Levi knew this from the moment that he got up out of his tax collecting booth and started following Christ. He left behind his old way of life. He wanted his friends to know Jesus. Mark 2, 13 through 17 teaches us that that Jesus came for sinners. As a church, let's follow what our Lord and Savior modeled for us. So I invite you to stand and pray with me. Father, we are beyond grateful for your word this morning. We're beyond grateful that Jesus came for sinners, and he came for sinners like us. And he came for our friends, he, he came for our family members, came for our coworkers who don't know you. God, I pray that we would be a church that follows in the footsteps of Jesus in this way, that he has called us to a great grace and entrusted us with the, great, the greatest story that's ever been told. And I pray that we would be a church who, who, is, who is willing to sit at the table with people who may be outcast or may feel like they are far from God, but that you would give us the words of wisdom to say a kind heart, a loving heart, to move towards them in love. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.